seen it referenced just recently in, in our studies in John chapter 12. He'd been talking about that, that, that he was going to die on this cross. And, and so it wasn't a surprise for him. But the events of the week that we call holy is in that time that the road to the cross really began to be a reality. And it really began to be that, that things began to progress very quickly to that point that he's, he's in the garden kneeling and praying that, that if, it's, if there was some other way, Father, take this cup from me. If there's some other way, let it pass from me. And he's, and he's so, he, his, his spirit is so heavy and the weight is on him so greatly that he begins to sweat drops of blood. He's in the garden. And he's there with his followers, or at least those that were faithful to him, because one, one had gone and, and gotten guards and gotten soldiers, and they came with their swords and their spears. And Judas walks up to him and kisses him and betrays him with a kiss. And his followers that seemed to be so faithful, they quickly fled. And that Friday night, or I'm sorry, that Thursday night that led into Friday morning, what they thought couldn't happen began to happen. They knew that He was the Messiah. They knew that He was the Christ. They, they trusted it. But it appeared that everything was falling apart around them, that, that everything was coming undone. Jesus is rushed off to a trial that's rigged. I mean, face it. There was no way that an innocent verdict was going to be given in that trial. There's no way that, that Jesus was going to walk out of that, out of that meeting pro, being, being proclaimed to be innocent and, and not a blasphemer or not guilty and, and deserving death. And as the Jewish leaders deal with Him, and, and speak to him and condemn him. They bring him to the Romans and turn him over to be crucified, to be killed. And the Romans, they take him and, and, and as, as they're dealing with him, Pontius Pilate, the leader, he, he sees in him, he's like, there, I don't see anything wrong. I don't see any guilt in him. And the Jewish leaders press and they push. And Pontius Pilate washes his hands and he says, His blood's not going to rest on me. But he takes him and he sends him with his guards. And the guards beat him. They mock him. They spit on him. They flog him with a whip that, that, that has lashes at the end, that has bone and metal. And, and, and it, as it comes around and it hits him, it tears his flesh. And not only now has he sweat blood, he's, he's bleeding out of his back. Not only is he bleeding out of his back, but they mock him and they, and they call him a king of the Jews and they put his crown of thorn on his head and they push it in and he begins to bleed. And everything that's been done by the Romans to release him is counteracted by the Jews. And so as Pontius Pilate tries to give him up, 
they cry for Him to be crucified. And I, I can't help but think of the irony of this moment. You see, at the beginning of this week that we call holy, at the beginning of this week, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to the praises of His people. For the first time, they've met Him, giving Him the greeting that He truly deserves. You know, before when they met Him, before when they went out to Him, it was always because of His miracles. It was always because they wanted something from Him. But as they met Him that day, as He came into to Jerusalem during that triumphal entry, He comes into Jerusalem and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're putting down their palm fronds and they're, and they're putting down their, their cloaks and He's riding a cross. And they're treating Him as a king as He deserves. And the sad truth is, the irony of it is, is that these people that are making this claim is that are crying these cries of praise are very likely some of the same people standing in a crowd crying, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. And let His blood rest on me. As they strap Him to a cross and require Him to carry it out of the city to the place of the skull. We sang of it this morning. We sang of Calvary. And, and as we say the word Calvary, you know, it's interesting because there's this sense of victory. There's this sense of, of, of hey, there's this, this, this place that the war was won, that the, the fight was fought and it was won. And, and Calvary just, just exudes, at least in my perspective, this idea of victory. But the other name for it that's given in Scripture is Golgotha doesn't sound quite as victorious, does it? The place of the skull. The events of that day, as they made him carry his own cross, he's so weak that he can't make it. And they pull someone out of the crowd to carry it the rest of the way for him. And they, they get to the place and they, they lay that cross down and they lay him on the cross and they stretch out his hands and his feet and they nail him to that cross and they raise it up. And they leave him there to hang and die. The events of that day left a mark on history. The story has been told countless times as, as it was recorded by his followers it was. It, it, it's even been reported by Josephus. Uh, you know, we know from Scripture that that uh, the light went out, that it got dark that day. But even Josephus makes mention in his writings. He's a Jewish historian. He makes mention of the darkness that day. There was a huge earthquake. And the, the, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, that most holy place where only one man, the high priest, was allowed to go, it was ripped and torn in two from top to bottom. You see, that day it left a mark on history. As Jewish leaders stood and mocked him and made fun of him, and yet others, a thief on a cross hanging beside him, and a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, looked on and saw he was not just a mere man, but he was more. See, on that day, prophecy was fulfilled. The, the cross was no surprise. It had always been planned. Jesus knew that it was coming. 
And he's hanging from that cross as he's hanging there and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scene for us, the, the, the events and the scene for us, you know, we're somewhat detached from it. And so as I sit here and recount some of this story and, and, and try to give you a picture and an understanding of what was going on, it's still somewhat we're disconnected. But it was horrendous. It was, it was, it's been called the most evil event of all of history. Even as we try to envision it, I don't think we grasp it completely. An innocent man condemned to die. An innocent man who, who truly, by all rights, should have been a king, living a king's life. Given the death of a common criminal. Hung among common criminals. Beaten and bloody barely able to raise himself to take a breath. By all rights, it appears that this is the most tragic of all of the moments of history. And then comes that point when all of the work the cross was meant to accomplish all that the work all of the work that that Jesus had set out to do and, and that God was doing in the cross when it was all done Jesus says it is finished. And he hangs his head and he dies. We've spent the last six weeks working through this, through this series called The Road to the Cross and trying to understand what the, the purpose of the cross was, what it was meant to accomplish, how Jesus walked that walk as a, in self-denial, how, how, how it demonstrated our sin and improved the condemnation that was deserved, how, how it defeated the devil, how it, how it exalts Christ. We've seen those things. For the last six weeks, we've dealt with that. And the series culminates, obviously, in the cross. The series, obviously, I, I mean, the, the road to the cross leads to the cross. But the great news is, and the reason that we celebrate today, is that that's not the end of the story. It's not finished there. You see, the atonement, the work of the atonement, it was done on the cross. Jesus paid for our sins in full. But the work of redemption and reconciliation, had it ended there, had it ended in the cross, the work of redemption and reconciliation would be finished. Because he'd just be another guy who claimed to be a Messiah who's laying in a grave. But you see, Jesus is alive. He is alive and gives us great reason to celebrate. As I thought about what to preach from today and, and, and where to, to read from to think about this, I couldn't help but remember the opening lines of my favorite book of the Bible, First Peter. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. While you're turning there, let me just give you a perspective about who it's written to so that you understand the people that Peter's writing to are the church. They're God's elect. They're scattered throughout this, this region. They are suffering. They are hurting. And, and, and they are facing difficulty because of their belief. And Peter opens his letter after his greeting. Peter opens his letter with an amazing phrase. 
and an amazing claim that in my mind overshadows every other doubt or every other worry or every other struggle that we might face. And as we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate the, the, the resurrection of our Christ, I, I just felt compelled that this is the passage we should focus on. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8, and then we'll come back through and we'll talk about these things. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guided through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love this. He, Peter, writing to a suffering people, to a people who, who are dealing every day with hardship we can't even imagine. Most days we wake up and we can walk into the world and be Christian and not worry about it. These people suffered because they were Christians. They dealt with hardship because of their belief. They, they, they suffered great persecution because of their faith. And he says, blessed be or praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of all that you're experiencing, praise God. He doesn't leave them wondering. But he tells them why. See, according to His great mercy, according to His great mercy, when you begin to think about mercy, especially as it applies to us and God, mercy really demonstrates that we have a need because we're in need of His mercy. And He has the ability to meet that need. And as you think about mercy, you, you have to recognize that, that at least as great as the need is, the, the mercy must be that great as well. And so as Peter talks about this great mercy... As Peter points out that this, that this mercy is huge and it's, it's amazing and overwhelming, it counteracts our great need. You see, we, we all have a great need. We're all born sinners. The, the, the Bible clearly teaches, Romans 1.25, it says, they exchanged the truth for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no doubt that this, the Scriptures teach that we are fallen, that we are, sin, are, are filled with sin and, and flawed. And we have a great need. Our greatest need ever is not the next meal we eat. Our greatest need ever is not the, the house that we live in or, or the job that we might have. Our greatest need ever is to be reconnected, to be reconciled, to be, to be redeemed unto our Creator. We were meant, we were, we, we were created by Him and for Him, and as fallen creatures we are separated from Him. 
Our greatest need is to be reconnected. And we can praise God because He has a great mercy. You see, His love, His love compels Him to move. His love for His people, it compels Him to act. It compels Him to grace. Now grace, what grace does for you is it gives you what you don't deserve. God's grace bestows on you gifts that you could never earn. And His mercy, it withholds from you what you truly deserve. You see, His great mercy it holds back His wrath. It keeps it from us. What do we really deserve? That's really the question that comes out of this, out of this point. What, what do we really deserve and what have we been given? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What we deserve is death. And I'm not just talking about a death that puts you in the ground in a casket. I think the term truly refers here to an eternal separation from our Creator. But the gift of God is eternal life. Praise God for His great mercy. Because if it weren't for this mercy, if it weren't for His mercy holding back His wrath, there would be no hope. And in fact, as we see in the passage, His mercy gives way to great things. His mercy gives way, in fact, to new birth. It gives way to life. While we deserve death, we've, we, we, we've been given life. The theological term here is regeneration. Regeneration refers to something that is dead, has no life in it. And God puts life in where no life was before. You and I were dead in sin. God made you alive. Praise God for His great mercy because it gives way to this new birth, this new life. As Jesus taught on this, Jesus was confronted by it and, and, or about it and He was talking to, to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is like, well, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be given life from the Spirit. You see, what happens is, is, that, is that in God's great mercy... He withholds judgment from you. In God's great mercy, He keeps His judgment back and He puts in you a life that you can't earn, that you don't deserve, and that by, with, without Him acting, you would never gain. He regenerates you. He makes what was dead alive. Praise God for His great mercy that gives us new birth. And this new birth, it doesn't just stop at this birth. It doesn't, you know, ultimately this, this birth results in something. Just as a baby is born and he grows up and he, he becomes something, this new birth brings with it a living hope. Living hope. It, 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 it's a hope that, that doesn't disappoint, that doesn't leave us empty, that, that doesn't leave us wanting. It, it looks forward. It, it's always looking at what's coming. But it's something we can count on. A, a, a child of God, our hope as a child of God, our hope is not wishful thinking. Our hope is certain. It, it is real. It is confident expectation of, of an unfailing and an unchanging God. 
trusting in His promises, knowing that He will fulfill and do what He said He would do. We don't have to be unsure. We don't have to be uncertain. We don't have to wonder. You see, He's truly capable of giving eternal life. He's truly capable of fulfilling these promises that He's given us. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present Creator. He's the one that we need to be connected back with. He's the one that demonstrates great mercy so that we can have that connection. It's through what He has done what, that, that we can know life. It's through what He has done that we can confidently expect that one day, one day, no matter what happens, one day, no matter what I face or what you face, no matter how bad things seem to be, that one day, one day, it's going to be so much better. No matter how good it looks today, there's a day coming that's still better. No matter how bad it might be tomorrow, there's hope that there's a day coming that is so much better. Our hope looks forward and it trusts and it confidently expects that as God has shown us His mercy and given us new life, that He will provide us everlasting life. Everlasting, not eternal. You know, we had a beginning. We, we had this point that was God's eternal. God's always existed. We will have everlasting life that will never end. We will never be taken out of, His, out of His presence. We will never be away from Him or disconnected from Him again. It will be everlasting. Forever. Forever. Man, think about that. Think about the implications of that. Think about what that means for tomorrow and the day after that. And this hope, that's what we hope for. I read recently, or I don't really remember, actually I was listening to someone speak, and they were talking about this woman who had swum across the English Channel. She was actually known for swimming long distances and and she was going to be the first woman to swim across the English Channel. And as she began the day, she starts swimming and everything's great and everything's good. And she's coming very close, but she's getting very tired. And the waves are picking up. And, 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 and she can't see the shore anymore. And, and, and she doesn't know how far she has to go. And the people in the boat next to her cheering her on, it's so close, it's so close, keep going, keep going. can't see the shore. She loses sight of her objective. And she gives up and she climbs in the boat. And when she climbs in the boat, she looks and the shore is less than a mile away. And suddenly she realizes as she sits in that boat, I could have made it. But I just remembered the shore. You see, our hope, our hope is for everlasting life. Don't lose sight of this everlasting life. You can make it. You can keep on going. You can, you can keep pushing through. You can keep fighting the fight. You can keep battling against the enemy. You can keep doing what God's called you to do because the shore, it's always there. And it's so certain that by His mercy, because of this new life, with this confident expectation, you're going to make it. 
And I love as as he as he talks about this inheritance, this everlasting inheritance. He he calls us heirs. He he tells us that we're going to inherit it, that we're heirs. And that that, that being born again it, it brings us into this family. And he calls this this inheritance, he says it's imperishable. That means it's never going to rot. It's not like a tomato that sits in your refrigerator at the back too long. You're not going to ever find mold on it. It's not going to decay. It's, it's undefiled. It means that it's, 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 it's pure. That it, that, it is, that it is not flawed in any way. It is perfect. It's unfading. It's always going to be so valuable. And then we're going to have to worry about it crashing and failing. It will always shine brilliantly. And it's reserved. You see, you have a place in His great mercy because of this new life and, 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 and out of this hope. You have a place reserved for you in His presence. Hear it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And did you hear why we can count on this? You see, Peter didn't say because Jesus Christ died on the cross. He said because Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. The resurrection is oftentimes forgotten. We spend so much time in our denominations and our, our Protestant faith focusing on the price that had to be paid. And I don't want to take away from that. I don't want to detract from that. It was essential. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus Christ go to that cross. Because our sin had to be paid for. But that's only half the story. He is alive. And He is ruling with authority. And that gives us such reason to celebrate. It all stands or falls. Everything that we know and believe and trust in stands or falls on this. If Jesus is dead in a grave, our faith is worthless. In fact, Paul, as he wrote about this subject in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if Jesus Christ is dead and there is no resurrection, then our faith is worthless and we ought to be pitied above all men. If Jesus is dead... There isn't a sense in trying. Go home, drink, be merry. But because Jesus is alive, you can recognize God's great mercy. You can see this beautiful, living hope. And you can know that you will have everlasting life. Because He is alive. It goes on and it doesn't stop there. It's so amazing that it, it, it just continues to pour out. We have this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's reserved. 
who by God's power are being guided through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Listen, it's because of God's power. It's the same power that rose Christ from the grave that gives us the hope of eternal life. It's the same power that called Him out of, the, out of death and, and brought Him back to life and, and put Him on a throne in heaven, ruling at the right hand of His Father. It's that same power that you and I can count on. It's that same power that saves us, and not just saves us, but reserves it for us. He doesn't just save you. He keeps you. He guards you. In fact, the, the, the wording here in the original Greek, it talks about a shield. And He shields you. It, it, it's this thing in front of you that nothing gets through that He doesn't let through. It, you, you don't deal with issues of life that He doesn't want you to deal with. He is protecting you and it's this power that brings Christ to life that provides your life. And protects you in life. <laughs> so amazing. In this you rejoice. You see, the, the, the resurrection, we can, we're, we're so somber when we think about the cross. And I think we should be. But my goodness, we should get excited because the cross led to the victory of the resurrection. You and I, as we face the elements of the Lord's Supper today, it should be a celebration. We should feel joy. It should fill us with inexpressible joy full of His glory. We should know it. We should feel it. He is not dead. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And in that we see God's power. You see, not only did, did Jesus Christ pave a way for us in this, He paved a way for us. He died and came back from the dead and it gives us the promise and the hope of eternal life. But in this we see that God truly does have that power. God is truly able. And it secures our hope even more. And, and that should fill us with joy. No matter what the day holds, in spite of the circumstances of life. We should feel joy. In fact, as Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 15, he comes to the close of this chapter and he says, talking about how, how the resurrection leads to life, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when those that are dying are made new and given life, he says, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this, because now we can clearly understand why Peter is calling a suffering church, a scattered church, to praise God. If you've not gotten it before, get it now. <laughs> praise God. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because He has shown you great mercy. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for this new birth, He has caused you to be alive, enabling you to have faith, giving you new hope, a living hope, 
A hope that doesn't, doesn't disappoint and doesn't let you down, but is a confident expectation. Praise God for this living hope. Praise God for this everlasting inheritance that He's holding for us. Praise God for His power that guards us and, and, and uh, it guards us until the end and gives us the reason to rejoice and provides for us our salvation and protects us every day. And every bit of it, every bit of it hangs on that statement that falls right in the middle of that phrase. This is all coming through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Easter, it's, it's become a lot more about eggs and candy for a lot of people than about a risen Savior. And that saddens me in a way. But I recognize that those people, they're, they're doing what their nature leads them to do. And so I say, you know what? Let's let them have that. But as they experience that and as they live that out, Let's you and me not forget that Easter and the other 364 days that exist in this year are days that our Lord deserves to be worshipped because He has been merciful and He has given us life and hope and He's promised us an everlasting inheritance. Let's find joy in God's power and in Jesus' resurrection. Let's live with, with, with that joy evident in the face of uncertainty. Let's praise God. Let's praise our God in our actions, in our words. <laughs> and you know what? Let's praise God with our lives of obedience, submission, and giving up of our own will. Let's take opportunities to share the truth about what we know and what we've been given. We gather here to worship God. You know the truth and we need to scatter from here and worship God and praise Him by telling others. Even if it means taking an Easter egg and using it to illustrate this truth. Or some other thing that our world has decided to worship over our great God. He is alive. And so now we can worship our God and have no doubt that He is worthy. Let's pray. Father, You are good. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are loving. Father, I, I pray that in this moment, in this time, as we consider these things, as we think about what You've done, that, that, that You would move on us, Your people. That You would, that you would build us and, and call us to, to go and tell and, 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 and be bold and courageous to share Your truth. That You would, that you would strengthen us to live life, to live... Uh, to live lives of praise that show evidence of Your work in us. That as people see our good works, that they turn and glorify You. Father, I praise that as we sit here today and, and consider Easter, the crucifixion, 
and the resurrection that you would call us to celebrate and to worship. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.